All right, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. Thank you for tuning in. It's the last segment of our show. It's called the Pub Crawl because normally we crawl from topic to topic with a few pals, as I like to do at the pub. Oh, I get it now. That's why you're playing this music, Tim. So it's a pub crawl music. You're not just a good-looking guy. <laughs> Is that what I was supposed to say to you? No. No. You're not just eye candy. This week on the Pub Crawl, there's one subject. Here's the topic. Every year, Canadians freeze to death within walking distance of a warm and empty church. Why? What is that all about? I read a couple of articles about people freezing to death this winter during that deep freeze. And it's like kind of like when the tires came off the trucks and all of a sudden they were coming off all the trucks. Or were we just hearing about it because it was a new like, cycle? Like pit bulls and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yep. And the reality is, again, that people freeze to death every winter up in this great white north of ours. Um, but it, it is a disturbing scenario when I read uh, that on January 1st in Detroit, a guy actually froze to death right in front of a church. Church is open. Church, well, it wasn't open. That was the point. But the church is, is, is empty. The church was warm. And this, this guy froze to death right there. So there are so many nuances around this discussion uh, that I actually need to be educated a little bit on because I kind of have that, like everyone else, knee-jerk reaction of, well, then open the freaking churches. Open the door. Why can't they just sleep on the, throw a mat out or something, and then okay. There's they... lots of benches. Uh, lay down on that. Anyway, to help me uh, understand things a little bit better, our two very good friends. I actually really like these two people. I really like them. They're both here today at the same time. What a great way to end the show. Angie Draskovic. Or itch. It depends. It's a, it's officially itch, isn't it? It's officially itch. Yeah. Yes. That's just a weird conversation. <laughs> um, Angie Draskovich. She is the president and CEO of the Young Street Mission, YSM.ca. My quick story about the Young Street Mission is that uh, when I was a jerk as a teenager, my parents kicked me out. My mom left me a pamphlet to go to another drop-in center. I went there and had a horrible, horrible experience. And then I walked into the Young Street Mission and absolutely felt it right away. I'll never forget the vibe I felt as soon as I walked in the doors. It was a completely different feeling. Not only a fan, but also a client. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hair club for yeah, homeless people. Um, and then uh, Greg Paul. He's the uh, founder dude of Sanctuary Toronto. Uh, sanctuaryToronto.ca. By the way, it's YSM.ca, but SanctuaryToronto.ca. Greg, I went to the website. Your name's not on there anymore. You're, you're not having anything to do with Sanctuary Toronto? I'm a bit of a ghost. What is that? You're too big of a deal as an author now? <laughs> Hardly. Well, seriously. It should be on there somewhere. I think you just didn't look hard enough. Maybe I went to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, Greg is one of those irritating guys that answers my irritating questions with things that make me think. And then I got to spend time thinking. God, I hate that. I hate when that happens. Darn it. Um, but Greg and I, this whole thing started because Greg and I had a conversation on the phone uh, last week, the week before, or whenever it was, and that was the question. I just started thinking about that that scenario scenario that you guys have well thought through and well de- dealt with, and outsiders <laughs> then like me come along and go, "Hey, why aren't the churches opening the doors? They're they're warm. They and they're empty. Let people in so they're not freezing to death." It's not quite as simple as that. Is that right, Mr. Paul? That's certainly true. At the moment, there are 13 churches that do that at least once a week in Toronto. This is the Out of the Cold program. Out of the Cold program. And there are three uh, synagogues that do it as well on a weekly basis. So typically what happens is is they'll they'll welcome a group of people, and I think it usually varies between about 20 and 60 people, depending on the size of the building. 
and they bring them in, they give them supper, and then they give them a place to sleep. And sometimes there's a place to have a shower, not usually, but sometimes there is. Um, the sleeping is usually on on uh, mats or probably mostly uh, lightweight mattresses um, with minimal bedding in a room. So it's it's a hosteling sort of situation. Sure. It, it's a warming shelter sort of situation. And then they give them breakfast in the morning and, and out, they go, go, out they go. So churches have been doing that for about 20 years in Toronto. But the way you just described that made me think that the churches are only, those churches that are helping with the, out of the yeah. cold stuff, only do it on a certain day. Well, it doesn't yeah. help if that day is 7 degrees and yeah. the day I freeze to death is minus 29 and they're not doing the out of the cold that day. Yeah, so the out of the cold uh, is administered actually by Dixon Hall or, or Dixon Hall provides some oversight and support, I should say. It's not, it's not really uh, administered by them. And Dixon Hall is funded to do that by the city. So there's some assistance to the churches to do that. But part of what happens is there's a schedule set up. So churches volunteer to take a particular day. So there's coverage every night of the week of some kind. Uh, it's not enough, honestly, in this cold weather. But um, I think it needs to be said that churches actually are doing something. Right. So, Or some churches are doing something. Right. Yeah. So if there is a goal for this conversation, it is for someone who's involved with a church in an area where there is homelessness yep. to think through how they can open their doors when it's really freaking cold. Yeah, If they're sure. not already doing it. That's the goal of this conversation. Great. So, Angie, in your experience, um, yeah, is it is it actually worth rattling the chains anymore for churches? Because I don't expect corporations, like let's say the Eaton Center, well, their hallways are open and warm. Why don't they open their doors and let people sleep in the in the halls there? And they've already got security; they can watch it. Perfect. But I don't expect that out of corporations. I do expect it out of out of churches. I do expect it out of synagogues or or mosques. I do expect expect people who have a higher calling or a higher sense of 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 a, I don't know value of humanity. I expect them to be engaged. I expect us to be engaged. It's easy for me to have this preachy preachy thing because I live in you know Wonderbreadville up in North, and we don't you know we just don't deal with the stuff you deal with it. So. I don't have that. Ex- ex- There's actually a question here, Angie. I don't actually have that ex- expectation of corporations. I do have it of the church. Is that fair or unfair? Hmm. Um, I think it's probably fair, because people of faith say that they uh, that you know we are instructed. We're instructed by Jesus, Matthew 25, right? You know, uh, if someone's in need, we're meant to help them. So they, I think that it's fair to expect it, and then I think in terms of then equipping churches and helping people in churches. Because the thing is this, people in churches aren't experts on homelessness. No. They're people that attend a church. They have compassion. They care. They see the situation. It, it hurts them to look at it. But they may feel powerless to know what to do. And I think that's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to expect it. Um, but I think it has to be, it has to go hand in glove with some support around how to do it. How can a church be equipped to help people who are homeless uh, and give them a safe place to be? Um, and what's the way to go about that? And, and um, Isn't it better just for the Jesus people to sit there, collect an offering, and go, we'll give it to Young Street Mission. We'll give it to Sanctuary. They're already doing this stuff. Let them deal with it. We don't want homeless people coming in here. Then you got insurance issues, and you got, you know, we got to hire people. We got, we got, we're just, uh, we can't do it. We can't. Isn't it easier just to give you the coin, you guys? Well, the thing is that not everybody is in the downtown core. 
And we know that homelessness and, and poverty is moving outside of the downtown core and it's into the inner suburbs and everything like that. So people, you know, they would have to travel downtown to get to the resources like like Greg's and ours that are right downtown. So if we think about the community responsibility of church, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ideal community is a community that actually sees and knows the people in the community, understands their needs and reaches out and helps them in a time of crisis. So if around a church building, the community that it serves, there's individuals that they can see and know. And that's the key, see and know. Right. Uh, actually, actually know that the people in their community and and know that they're in crisis and then respond. So right. why that weird vocal twitch there? <laughs> because I think that the vast majority of North Americans don't want to see and don't want to know. Okay, so here's why churches ought to be more involved in corporations, because Jesus said so, right? So, so, yeah, come on, let's 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 nail it because oh, you can't say that. No, no. The reality is the reality is is that if there are homeless people in in the neighborhood of a church, that church should be an expert in homelessness. Hmm. If if there are uh, people who are underhoused or or single moms or refugees or anybody who's on the margins in the neighborhood of any given church, that church should be, according to the claims of the gospel, experts in the needs of those particular people. The reason that, that uh, you're not seeing homeless people in Wonder Breadville, where you, you mm-hmm. happen to live, is because they all come to my patch downtown. Why do they do that? Because there aren't resources for them where they are primarily. Right, right, so, right. Uh, or they're not, you know, they're visibly not welcome. Be- people see them on the street. They're uncomfortable with that. And so they, so they go elsewhere. So, so the reality is, and this is just underscoring what, what Angie just said, is, is that the, the job of the church is not, is not to be a, a private club for Christian people who gather to worship on a particular Sunday coming from all over the city, but is to be a presence in a given neighborhood and to actually reach out to the people in that neighborhood. What? Some of the churches, by the way, and yeah. and, um, ma- and and synagogues that are providing the out of the cold are in wealthy neighborhoods, and people are traveling to those churches because they from downtown the downtown core up to, uh, um, say, uh, Blythewood Road, which yeah. we'll hear about later, uh, near um, Lawrence and, and Mount Pleasant. They're traveling to that area because there aren't resources for them where they are. So, um, well, hold on. If I'm yeah. a homeless person and. By the way, is that the right? I always just trip over the terms. What is that? Homeless person sounds derogatory. Good, good enough. Okay, if I'm a homeless person uh, and then I go, "Ooh, I might freeze to death tonight." I really, what am I going to get a cab up to Blythewood and? No, you're gonna you're gonna panhandle or or uh, um, ask somebody for um, a token, subway token. And you're going to go there. Because I know I yeah. can get in there. Yeah. I know. Okay. So now we're talking about the uh, whose job is it really? Is it shelters and government-run shelters, and, you know, NGO shelters kind of thing? You know, that kind of, or, or is it a job of, of Jesus people, of church people, of pe- people of faith? Yes. It's both. It's yes. all. Right. All. See, this is the thing. I think, honestly, what would help the cause of faith, of, of any faith group, is to be known for more than anything else, to be known as the group of people that take care of the people that no one else wants to take care of. Of course. That's the job, isn't it? I mean, read the, read the Beatitudes. That's what Jesus taught. Right. Is, is and even outsiders the kingdom know this. of heaven. Outsiders right. even know this. People that don't Absolutely. get a holy grunt yeah. about what's written in the Bible know yeah. that if you're going to be a God person, you, to, you need to be taking care of the down and outers. Yes. But yet there's still a block there. Mm-hmm. So speaking of block, let's actually talk about your hood. You guys are right down in the core. 
Do you know, Angie, how many churches, it's probably, it's a horrible question because then, you know, I don't know how you would know this, but roughly what percentage of churches in the downtown core are actually practically helping those who are on the streets versus those who are just set up for Sunday services and a little bit of a tea and, and bread sandwiches with the crust cut off at the end? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know the specific answer to that question. I, I know of some churches that, uh, that we're aware of that are doing things practically to help people in need in the downtown core. But I, I don't have a survey, and I don't know all the churches downtown and what they're up What's to. What's your gut say, though? Do you, does your gut say that, well, the vast majority of churches downtown, where that's actually where the homelessness thing is a reality, yeah, they're on board. They're doing. We're doing it. We're doing all right. Or, or is part of you going, man? What the hell? This is an uproad battle. I think I, my gut is the the majority have compassion, but aren't sure how to act. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't See, believe I, that how to act. All you got to do is call one of you guys and go. Okay, how do we act? All you got. All you have to do is call out of the. Out of the cold, so it was called out of the cold. Somebody who's doing out of the cold already and go, okay, yeah, let, let's come. I want to go to your place and learn how to do it. Well, so here's the thing. I think, and, and this is building upon what Greg has already said as well. I think that uh, that people of faith and and people who who don't have a Christian faith, people in general in our society, have been conditioned to look to the system to care for people in yes. need. Yes, yes. Right? Uh-huh. So the initial response is the system will do it. Now, whether you're a person of faith or not, yep. the initial response, socially speaking, sure, it's a in socialistic our culture, country and that's in our culture, yeah. is the system will take care of it. And then so their first notion is that I pay taxes or I'll make a donation and then the system will take care of this. Right, right. There's not anything physically I need to do to respond to this. I don't have time anymore. The thing I'm doing is I'm paying my taxes or I'm giving donations to Sanctuary, Young Street Mission or whoever else I support. Yep. Um, and that should do it. That should cover it. The issue is that the system, the needs that we have in society, and this is a, I won't get on my soapbox about income inequality and all those other things, but the needs are much greater than the system's resources. And and that whole premise of outsourcing care mm-hmm. is the issue at hand, yeah. right? We've, we've, we've conditioned ourselves to believe that care should be provided through this external system that we've created, as a result, I, I, I am now absolved from having to do anything personally. Mm-hmm. And all sense of community has broken down. The original idea of community this is, exactly it. Yep. is completely broken down where you live in a community and you know the people in your community and you see their needs and you just help them, right? You just, you just do it. That, that sense of um, that being normal is not there no. anymore. Yeah. Can I just interject for a second? I, no. Okay. <laughs> this goes back to what we were talking about with Brent. You know, I, I think, and, and I'm not trying to make excuses. I just know that, you know, some people are gifted in certain areas and it's it's tough. We talked about the whole gifting and evangelism and I mean, that's specifically with regards to, a, you know, whatever. But I mean, some of us aren't very good and don't do well at, at, at in interacting with people, whether they are needy or not. Yeah. And it's tough because then we start getting this whole guilt thing about I'm not doing it. I don't know how to do it. I, I, you just get kind of caught up in yourself. Is there is there a guilt factor that we need to address here? You know, I know you're, you're, you do it. This is obviously you're gifting something you're very passionate about. I'm a teacher. It's what I'm passionate about. But this I expect actually, you to be a teacher. And uh, This is actually why I don't like hanging around Greg or Angie because the more I hang out with him, the more guilty I feel. Okay. 
It, it, That's good. I'm glad you feel guilty. <laughs> as long as you feel guilty, everything will be fine. No. You know, I think this is this is actually it's about human connection. There, it's not it doesn't have That's to be terribly saying. complicated. It's not about oh you're gifted to to deal with homeless people. When when people say that sort of stuff to me when I go somewhere and I speak and people come up and they 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 gush a bit that sort of yeah. that sort of stuff it makes me feel really uncomfortable. And it makes me feel uncomfortable, not not because they're saying something nice and I'm uncomfortable with that for myself, but because I feel like they're actually evading the issue for themselves. You're you're a teacher, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm not sure actually what Drew is, but he's something rather. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and you have skills, and you have the capacity to engage human beings at a certain mm-hmm. level, and even Drew has those capacities to engage you know, human beings at a certain level. That's all this is really yeah. about is being next to other human beings and recognizing in the moment what a particular person needs. It can get an awful lot more complex than that. And it yeah. does when you talk about delivery of service and all of those sorts of things. But, but it begins with, with just simple human connection. And everything devolves from that. And that's scary. Yeah. There are tons of people out there who are not gifted in evangelism or reaching out to people who have kids. And they figure out somehow how to raise their kids and get them through school and, you know, get them working, et cetera. Well, trust me, not all of them do. Not, not all of them yeah. do. But, yeah. but people who are <clears throat> more or less healthy manage to do that regardless of their skill set or their, or their gifts. Yeah. That's all we're talking about. It's a similar sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. I just want Angie to also chirp chirp in on this, to yeah. be chime in on this. Um, what did you want to say? Yeah, my, my only thoughts was, this, I mean, I was actually thinking about this recently because I was just speaking at uh, an event yesterday on, on community. And when you think about the, the church community and the body of Christ and the giftings of the body of Christ and, and the spiritual gifts even, the, you know, Greg made the point delivery of the services is actually complicated. Well, if someone has compassion, but they're administratively gifted in a church, but would be terrified to sit down face to face to have a conversation with a homeless person, they could be the best person to orchestrate the delivery of the services. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, I think that regardless of the gifting of an individual in the church body, um, if, if if they come around, this is what we want to do. We see these needs in our community. These are the needs that we see. And, and we don't know how to do it, so let's figure it out. And then the right people with the right gifts connect. We, you know, they reach out to Sanctuary and say, how do we do this, Greg? Or they reach out to Young Street Mission and say, how do we do this? And then, and then we provide the support so that they can build the right response in their community. And then it's only the people in the, in the congregation that actually, you know, maybe have the gifts of encouragement or mercy or what have you that can sit side by side and have the conversation that can, do that part. Can you actually, do you want churches to call you and go, hey, can you help us do, help homeless people better? Do you want people, is that a drain in your resources? It, uh, we would do it. We would do it. What about you? What about sanctuary people? Yeah, you know, for years um, I've had, uh, we've had um, pastors come from often suburban churches to sanctuary and say, oh, this is really great. How can we, we want to equip our people to come down and help you. And, and I'll say to them, I don't think that's a great idea. I think what you should do is, is be looking around your own neighborhood and figure out how you can care for the people who are poor and marginalized there. Because mm-hmm. no matter what your neighborhood is, they they're, are they're present. There. They're, they're present. There. You just need to learn how to see them. The poor will always be with us. And, oh, and yeah. so I'll go on and I will say to them, if if you want help figuring out how to do that, to exegete your neighborhood, for instance. Um, I'm sorry, what? Your neighborhood? Exegete your neighborhood. Who speaks like that? He does. 
Sorry, go ahead. Are we done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd be glad to, to come and help you do that. I've, I've probably said that to 20 different church leaders over the years. I've had one person actually respond and say, would you come and do that? How do you not Begin just to throw that. your hands up and just so, roll your eyes at all this? Yeah. So I, I, in fact, I, I had a conversation the other day, and the, and the question it – was, it was a podcast I was doing. And, and the question was about, you know, how can, how can pastors equip their congregation to do this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I said, well, the first thing pastors have to do is actually get out of the church themselves and go do it. If they're going to lead people, they have to lead from the front. You can't just shove the people out of the church. It's not how you equip them. And most pastors, honestly, are a little intimidated by that. I think that's a big hurdle, actually, is that most pastors feel overwhelmed already by their congregation as it is. And the thought of bringing a whack load of of homeless people or or other kinds of needy people in is just overwhelming to them. Um, I want to bring someone in on this conversation. Uh, His name is Dennis Bruce. Greg calls him Dennis the Menace. I'm not sure why that's that's, that's, that's true. That's uh, a lie. Um, by the way, I uh, just re- realized, stinks. Sorry, guys. We're going to need these headphones because, I'm <laughs> sorry, last-minute change here. I forgot we've got a caller. So pass the headphones along so our guests can hear what's going on. Good long cord there. And this one goes over here. we got all sorts of cord strangulation no, that's, going that's on. That's horrible. That makes your voice even louder. Stop. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Do you want your uh, thing turned down a little bit there, Greg? I don't know where you are there. We'll just turn everything down. Anyway, uh, on the phone is uh, Dennis Bruce. He's a passionate advocate for out of the cold. Dennis, are you okay with that label? Uh, I guess so, yeah. That's as good as any, I guess. That'll work. Uh, Dennis, you've been involved with out of the cold since 1927. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> That was when you were born. Uh, yeah, whatever. So, um, since 1995. 95. Yeah, we're in our 23rd year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, earlier we were, we were chatting about churches that were sitting here. Maybe they're listening to the Drew Marshall. I don't know why a church would ever listen to the Drew Marshall show. But they're sitting here and they're listening and they're going, someone's saying, you know what? Yeah, our church is actually in a, an urban area. Our church is actually, well, yeah, there are homeless around uh, our neck of the woods. Maybe we're not right down in the thick of it, but we're close enough. We should probably do something because, to be honest, yeah, someone freezing to death just outside of our locked-up, warm church is ludicrous. So, what do you say to them, Dennis? Well, you know, I think it's very difficult to start an out of the cold program. I wouldn't minimize the the, the problems that you will encounter when we started. Um, 23 years ago, um, we had all sorts of um, uh, pushback from the neighborhood and even from people within our church. I mean, we lost members of the church who walked out, who objected to us uh, getting involved with the out of the Okay, hold, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm totally freaking out on that one. Why would they object to it? Um, well, they gave all sorts of reasons. Um, as far as the neighborhood was concerned, most I I would hesitate to say most, but many people and the most vocal people just objected to homeless people coming into their neighborhood. They believed that they were criminals, uh, rapists, uh, drug dealers, and so on and so forth. And this would change the neighborhood and would also um, diminish the the value of their homes. In fact, we had one fellow in our church uh, say, what right have we um, to impose this upon our neighborhood? Um, the houses around here, he concluded, would drop about $40 million. And so, um, you know, it became a very difficult thing. And we had a lot of, um, a lot of pushback. Um, in fact, the star picked it up and uh, 
accused the local councillor who was heading all of this um, of nimbyism. He said, a man without shame, king of nimbyism. At any rate, we, we persisted. Uh, I must confess that there were times when I thought, you know, should we really be doing this? Should we really be putting this in our neighborhood? We're in a residential area. Um, is it fair on our neighbors? I mean, we need good um, relations with our neighbors. Is this going to do it? There are so many people upset. And then I thought, you know, these people are wealthy. They have access to lawyers. They have access to all sorts of help. Uh, they live in big, warm homes. The people that we're advocating for live on the street. And I just felt that God was driving us in this direction. It was not something that I particularly wanted to do, I must admit. Uh, I'd rather sit around, um, you know, drinking coffee and having a Bible study. And so getting involved in this way um, was all, it, it, it was all sorts of risks. Um, but we pressed on because we believed that this was God what God wanted us to do. Okay, first of all, thank you for bringing that little dose of reality in there, because I think, you know, Greg, you and I talked about this when I came down to visit the sanctuary a couple times. There's this sort of outsider's uh, pie-in-the-sky, you know, Hallmark movie feel. You know, we're going to we're gonna go and help the homeless, and next thing you know, it's going to be like Sandra Bullock in the blind side, and, you know, they're going to be, it's success, and they're going to clean up, and they're going to turn their life around, and that does, I don't know, that's not typically the case, right, Angie? That's not typically the case. No. Fair enough? Right. Okay, so now you got you got losers of all kind, as Jesus sort of talked about, as far as the, our society looks at the, at the I, outsiders. I don't recall him using that word, actually. <laughs> he was the lord of the losers, <laughs> quoting Mike Iaconelli. Um and and so we've got we've got junkies and prostitutes. You're the one that talked about this in your book. You used the, that kind of language. No, I didn't actually. Whatever. Um, was it the twenty piece shuffle? What was the book? What was the book? Which one was it? Because we actually need to talk about your next book. Anyway, my point is, these people are weird, and they're going to impact your your suburb, your 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 uh, your comfort zone, your bubble, your neighborhood, your community. They're going to impact your community. Don't kid yourself. A- am I too harsh, Greg? No, no you're not too harsh, um, except when you call them weird, because I would just argue that, you know, they're all... Well, I count myself among them is yeah, what I'm yeah, trying to say. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> different and, and other. So we like to look at people who are, or we're habituated to looking at people who don't look like us and uh, to coin a phrase, other, we other them. We, we make them into something that's distinctly different than us. And, and in fact, we kind of dehumanize people. So we talk about homeless people or addicts or, or whatever they might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we make them other. What we discover when we move closer to people is that regardless of what their problems are, they're actually human like us. The, the biggest challenge in all of this is that not only will, um, will engaging with people who are on the margins of society challenge our neighborhoods, but it will challenge us as individuals. It will challenge us as church communities as well, and it will change everything. And that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Now, let's not steer away from that. Uh, the, the church is in uh, – churches generally are in radical decline all across North America. The only exception to that would be immigrant churches. And and the reason is that um, increasingly even the people who attend the churches see them as largely irrelevant because they are. Let's be 
truthful blunt about, about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of how they impact the world around them, they are. So, so Jesus calls us to do and to be something different. He calls us to engage with people who I've come to call Beatitudes people. Look at the Beatitudes and, and figure out who those people are in your neighborhood. Those are the ones that we need to engage if we want to see the kingdom come. Who are the people in your neighborhood? In my neighborhood? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's really easy in my neighborhood. You can step out the front doors and trip over somebody. So (laughs) I think it is more challenging if, uh, like it happened with Dennis, if if you're up – you know, in a, in a wealthy uh, semi-suburban, inner suburb of, of the city. And you need to look around and you may need to do some reach, research to figure out who are the marginalized, poor, at-risk people who are in our particular neighborhood here. I, I think that's a really good point. And I think in addition to that, the, that the homeless aren't always obvious. They're not always on the street. So, mm. so it could be a family that's couch surfing. Yeah. And you can't even tell. They could even be attending your service, and you may not know. But hold on. If they're couch surfing, eh, they're fine. Are they stably housed? No, but we're talking about people freezing to death outside in the middle. I mean, that's like the bottom crucial emergency level kind of stuff. Yes, it is, and that's exactly what it is. It's the bottom line. It's it's the most basic things that we should be doing. But but let's face it. Jesus is not saying – to us and has never said to us, just give the people absolute bare minimum. Just say, <laughs> save the right. ones who are ready, you know, ready to freeze <laughs> to death you. tonight. <laughs> just, this is not what the gospel no. is about. Okay, Dennis, um, what are the things, if you were to stand in front of a congregation, let's say someone calls you and goes, hey, Dennis, uh, Dennis Bruce, you're Mr. Out of the Cold guy. Um, can you come and talk to our church about the, 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 um, the reality of our church doing it out of the cold? Give me three things that they need to think through really hard before they sign up for something like this. Well, the first thing I think that people must recognize is that um, the homeless, and this is a term which is, in a sense, abstract and dehumanizing, Mm. the homeless are homeless people. Each one, and Greg alluded to this, is someone's mother or father or brother or sister or uncle who have, for whatever reason, fallen on hard times and become homeless. Uh, When you get to know them and you sit down and talk to them, uh, you find out uh, they will tell you their stories once they trust you. So I talk about that. I've done done this uh, for several churches, and they have opened up um, their own programs. Uh, I was going to say as a result of this, but it it certainly kicked off their thinking. Um, The other thing is... There are many churches who I think would like to do this, but they haven't a clue how to go about it. And we have been able to get people, volunteers from other churches, to come and join us as volunteers. And we will train them and uh, so they can get some idea of how the program is run and also who the people that we're serving are. Uh, we encourage all of our volunteers to circulate um, through our guests, and we get about 120 to 140 every Saturday night. Um, and just sit down and talk with them, have dinner with them, get to know them, and the fear that people have suddenly evaporates as they discover that these are people like themselves. So that's the first thing I would tell people. Um, and uh, we're uh, at Blythewood, we're, we're happy to, to go and speak anywhere to any church and encourage them to open up an out-of-the-cold program. Okay, uh, Dennis, Blythewood 
has been doing Out of the Cold for numerous years. Your congregation is aging. We had a conversation about this on the phone. I, I said, I posited the fact that I think when the caring generation of, well, yeah, when the caring generation dies, who's going to care? And you said to me, you actually think that the millennials, and I use that word with great trepidation, uh, are, are actually stepping in and caring about the least of these? They're actually socially social justice aware? Yes, that's true. Um, I can give you one example. There are a number of examples, but one example is the Scarborough Chinese Baptist Church. They have about a thousand-odd in congregation, but they have a huge um, youth group. And um, one fellow uh, who uh, is on our committee from there brings along the youth group. And these are kids that uh, range from about 17 to 20, and sometimes after university they will come back. And they get stuck in, and they're, um, you know, keen to cook and uh, and clean up and talk to the uh, guests and so on. Mm-hmm. So this gives me a great deal of encouragement and hope for the future. Okay, but the problem is, though, uh, um, Angie, that, okay, millennials, and you've seen it as well down at Young Street Mission, the millennials are, are passionate about this, but they ain't coming with any coin, right? They're broke living in their mom's basement. I still think it's a tremendous opportunity because what we're talking about here is not just what, you know, how do we fund agencies like mine to do the work that we're doing, but how do we engage community more effectively for greater kingdom impact in the neighborhoods that we're in? So if millennials, uh, they you know, they can certainly volunteer and we need more volunteers in an organization like Gang Street Mission to have the capacity to meet the need around us. Mm-hmm. We can't hire enough people. Mm-hmm. So yes, bring on the volunteers. But that's, that's serving the need where we are in the communities that we are in. Beyond that, I think that millennials bring tremendous capacity to, to even ideate and deliver on solutions in the communities that they live in. And, uh, and they want to, hmm. which is good. Hmm. Have I you ever had someone at Young Street Mission that you knew personally, one of your people, one of your community uh, members, I don't know, what you want, the homeless, whatever, uh, uh, freeze to death that you knew of have you uh, have you ever come across that or heard about that not in my time at the mission no that i'm aware of but i think that it has happened yeah greg oh yeah don't get me started yeah i think um you know uh, I, I mentioned to you when we talked the other day uh that uh, Drew, that um, if you go into the Eaton Center, about halfway down, you take an exit on the west side, and you come to the uh, Trinity Church. Outside, there is a board on which there are over 500 names of people who have frozen to death on the streets. And I went down there one, one day, this is a couple of years ago at least, and read through the names, and I recognized three of them who were guests of our program. Yeah. Yeah, not cool. Not good at all. Jeez. No. Um, okay. Uh, only because I know Greg enough to know that I think he'll be okay with me doing this. First of all, Greg, I want to let everyone know, because you suck at self-promotion, that Greg uh, has just a new book here, Finding Our Way Back to the Good News. The book is called Resurrecting Religion, which scares me. It should. This this topic. <laughs> it just scares me. But if anybody's going to come at this from a well-thought-through perspective, it's Greg Paul. 
uh, move from doing church to being the church at a time when many people practice their faith in extremes, either publicly with a legalistic competitive tone that creates division or privately to the point that their faith becomes functionally irrelevant. Award-winning author Greg Paul casts a new light on religion that is beneficial for believers and the world. Using the book of James as a guide in the streets of Toronto as a proving ground, Greg Paul demonstrates that true religion is not a necessary evil but the way we put flesh on the bones of our faith. Resurrecting religion is a convicting and inspiring vision for a world-changing faith. Just as we end the show, you teared up. Why? Um, because I've lost far too many friends on the streets. Yeah. And they're friends. They're people that I love. And... Uh, it doesn't stop. How do you not get just exhausted and throw your hands up at all that's all that you've done over all these years? Well, I do at times, you know. But uh, one of the greatest hopes for me, I think, is the millennials that we were just talking about. I think that uh, I know an awful lot of younger people who have left the church, the conventional church, not because they don't care, but because they do because they want to live the gospel every day. Mm. And, uh, and I know a lot of young people who are doing that. I think we have an extraordinary young staff at, at, at uh, Sanctuary who uh, in, their, in their 20s are so far beyond where I was in my early 30s when I started at Sanctuary 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, they're far beyond where I'm at now, 25 years later. And um, they're smart, they're dedicated, they're living it every day, and, and it's really, really powerful. Very good. And that's my hope for the future. Um, so I, again, just want to, because Greg would never do this, uh, sanctuarytoronto.ca is uh, where you go uh, for uh, for more information about Sanctuary. And Angie, um, you know how I feel about your organization, the impact it had on my life so many years ago. But the fact that you're... Um, how do I say this without saying anyway? We're running out of time. Sorry, I'm getting the, the the buzz in my ear thinking this through. Thank you is what I'm just trying to say. How many staff? A little over 120. 120 staff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you just done some rebranding things that well, I actually want to hear about more. And I want that spoken word word girl to come on the show and yeah, do her thing. Absolutely. Can we do that? Yeah, for sure. I want. I just want you guys to be more part of our show. So anyway, thank you for coming. My Angela, pleasure. I really Thanks appreciate for- it. And Dennis, thank you for your input, the out of the cold stuff. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you know you being uh, the voice of. Of uh, stuff that matters, but you know the the fancy uh, neighborhood and the nice church, and all of a sudden you people are actually putting your money where your mouth is. So good on you, Dennis. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Thank you.